Well, if you could, if you could turn with me to the, the first set of verses that Brother David read to us just a few moments ago in Ephesians chapter 5. And if you were, if you were here this morning, that's where we spent most of our time in the, in the message this morning. But I do want to just point something out again very quickly, and then we'll, we'll move on to some other passages of Scripture. We're going to go to several tonight, so you have to use your, use your fingers a little bit as we, as we look at some of God's Word. We'll spend most of the time in Romans 13, but um, let's, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, again, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says there again, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. And that, that last part of verse 2 is just talking about the cross talking about His ultimate sacrifice for us. And that's how Christ loved us. He gave Himself for us. And then this morning, verse, verse 8 is what I talked about. For you were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So we looked at some thoughts around walking in the light of Jesus Christ this morning. And tonight, we're going to look at what verse 2 says, walking in love. Some thoughts on, on just some things surrounding walking in the, in the love of our, of our Savior. And just for a moment, I just give you this kind of a thought or an illustration. I, I talked to you for a moment about uh, something that had to do with basketball this morning. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about basketball again tonight. I'm sorry if, if you don't like sports or basketball, but I'm a sports guy and I, I sometimes use <laughs> illustrations but um, in the world of basketball, there's been an ongoing um, argument, I guess you could say, about who the greatest player of, of all time is. And typically, there are, there are two names that, that come up, at least in our, in our modern age, and that's uh, LeBron James or, or Michael Jordan, okay? See, people are saying, nope, it's not him, and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's, like I said, it's an ongoing argument. And, and then how, how these guys handle their politics and how they... How they speak out on social media often plays into that as well. But, um, you know, and some people will say, well, no, it was neither of those guys. It was Larry Bird or, or you know, Wilt Chamberlain or whoever. But it, when you think about the, the greatest basketball player of all time, they are considered being that or in, in the talk of, of being the greatest player of all time because they have some tremendous skills. They are, they are able to do things on the basketball floor that really very few people could ever do. Um, the way they can jump, the way they can run, the way they can handle and dribble the basketball, the way that they can shoot and pass and, and do all of these things, uh, play defense, guard their, guard their opponent, um, and all of these things that goes into being considered one of the greatest basketball players to ever live. It, it, it takes a certain amount of talent but on top of that talent, there's a lot of work every single day that goes in to being a player at a level such as that. And let me just say this tonight, there, there are things that the Lord gifts us with as Christians. You can call it, you can call it a talent, quote unquote. All right? He gifts us with certain things. And that He gives us naturally that we are able to use as Christians. But just like those basketball players that I was talking about, we've got to work. We've got to work at it. We have skills that the Lord has equipped us with. And tonight I'm, I'm going to talk about one of those, one of those things, and, and that, is, that is love. 
Love, love is something that does not come naturally to us. To, to love someone, especially someone who we might consider not very easy to love, takes work. It takes effort. It takes a, a lot of striving and focus to be able to truly love someone as Christ has loved us. So that I, I just want to get our minds focused on that for a moment tonight. And the title, the title of the message this evening is, Does the Love of Christ Constrain Us to Love? Does the Love of Christ Constrain Us to Love? And before we begin to look at, at Romans, I, I'd like for you to turn with me for just a moment to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and that's, that's where this word constraineth comes from. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to, be, we're going to begin in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. The Bible says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Now let me, let me stop there for just a moment and talk about this word constraineth. When you look up the definition for that word, it, it means to hold together, to press together, to shut up together. And then further, it means to press on or to urge or to impel or to excite. Um, here in this particular verse, it means it's, it's the exciting motive or motivating factor in the labor and self-denial of ourselves, all right, is, is true constraint. And that's what, that's what the love of Christ was all about. Not, his, his purpose of coming to this earth was nothing about Him. It was about us and His love for us. He came for one purpose, and that's to die. Right? And His love for us constrained Him to do what He did. And because of what has been done for us, that love ought to be constraining us to do what He did for us, for others, and to others. I have, I have written in the, in the margin of my Bible, next to the word constrain, is that Christ's love should literally overwhelm us. To the point of where again, it's just it's it's his love is welling up inside of us, and it has nowhere else to go but to flow out of us and to affect other people that are around us. That's really what constraining is is it means here and how it's talked about. But it, let let's read on in this passage. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Verse fifteen and that He died for all, that they which should live, not henceforth live unto themselves. So we, sh we should not be living for ourselves. We should be living for Christ because His love constrains us. And then it says, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. We should be living unto Christ in His constraining love. Verse 16, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. It's the, again, the Bible says he, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Let me, let me just stop there for a second. And, and the, the love of God has much to do with this. When, when we think about our old nature versus our new nature, or again, us being a, a new creature and old things are passed away, everything about us 
should have a new outlook. Everything that, that we do and say should be new. There, there is a new you. There is a, a new leader that is inside of you. There, there is a, a new worker, a new father, a new mother, a new son or daughter. It should be new. It should be different. Um, there, there should be a new response in your life that you give to what, whatever the scenario is that you face. This morning I talked about this. When, when we get poked and when we're frustrated and, and when people are really pushing our buttons, the, those who are saved should have a new response to that type of treatment. There should be a different response. Okay, so a new creature. All things are become are passed away, behold, all things are come new. And then verse 18, and all things, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. First of all, Christ reconciled us. He reconciled us. He restored fellowship with him. He restored our fellowship with him. So it says, and he hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. We cannot reconcile on this earth without love. We, can't, we cannot do it. Verse 19, To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we have to do it with the word and with our word. God's word and our word and with love. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And then I, I love verse 21. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I, I talked about that a little bit this morning in my Sunday school class, that, that when God looks at us, he, he doesn't see our fallen flesh. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the holiness of Christ. When God looks at us, He sees the cleansing blood of Christ. The Bible says we put on Christ. We're going to see that verse here in just a moment. We are hid in Him. All right? Christ doesn't see it, or God doesn't see us anymore. He sees Christ. What a, what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to be saved and a child of the King. All right, now let's go to, let's go to Romans 13, which is where we're, we're going to spend most of our time this evening. We're going to go to a couple other passages, but we'll spend most of our time here. So in the first, the first seven verses of, of Romans chapter 13, it really talks about our relationship to the government. Um, oftentimes this, this chapter is referred to as the, the government chapter. Um, verse, the first seven verses deals with our relationship concerning the powers that be. God commands us here to adhere to the law of the land and everything that is required of us. God has ordained government for our general protection and well-being. And as, as much as, as we tend to complain about our government and the way the, the nation is, is, is being led and, and the direction it's heading, um, honestly, we, we have to ask ourselves, would, would we rather live in any other place in the world? I don't know about you, I, I, I would not rather live anywhere else. And, and we, we have no one to praise but, but the Lord for that. Yes, our country it has, has some issues, but, but this morning, again, I t as we talked about, that just gives us the opportunity to shine brighter and brighter and show the love of Christ and walk in that light. So, 
You know, it, it, when you think about how much we have been blessed in, in this country, he, he has blessed us so, so very exceedingly, um, so far beyond what we deserve. His, his love in all of that is so apparent. His, his mercy is so abounding, far beyond what we deserve. His grace, as, as Miss Katie just, just sang, about, sang about, provides so much hope now and in the future. And then we come, we come to verse 8, which is where our focus will be tonight. And, and Paul turns to the, to the topic of love. So as, so as citizens of this earth and this earthly government, we are to be subject to the powers that be, uh, of course, unless they ask us to do things that are contrary to Scripture. And then we would we rather obey God than men. But he, but he, we're subject to those powers that be, and we are to be good examples for Christ in doing so. But as citizens of heaven and the kingdom of God, our role is quite simple, and that is just to love. We are to love. All right, so I, I want to just ask this question How are we taught to love in this passage? How are we taught to love in this passage? And the number one thing here. Number one, the only thing that we owe each other is love. The only thing that we owe each other is love. Look again with me at verses 8 through 10 of Romans chapter 13. It says this, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, Thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So again, look at verse 8, it says, For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And it says, For this, or because of this, we should be following those commandments and fulfilling those commandments because of our love that we have for one another. So as, so as citizens of, of this earth and, of, of, again, of the kingdom of God, we are to love. So I want to I look um, one other passage here for just a moment. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, and you'll, you'll be familiar with this, just to kind of uh, drill this home as, as tightly as we can. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse, I'll start in verse 34. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. The Bible says this, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, uh, a professional in, in the law, of, of God's law, the law of Moses, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So really, the Lord makes things so simple. If you pay attention to Scripture, He makes things so simple. You know, there, there are, I forget what the number is, it's, I don't know it off the top of my, hand, my head, but I believe there are somewhere around 650, 630 commandments that, that come out of the law. 630, I believe it is, 635. 
okay? 635 different commandments that, that, the, that the Jews, the Israelites, were constantly concerned every single day about keeping every one of those hundreds of commandments. But Jesus just simplifies it so much right here, just with two statements. Again, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Okay, there's, there's one thought. All right, are we, are we, can we truly say tonight that our love for Him is, is whole or complete with all of our might? And then the second thing, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So what Jesus is telling us here, that if, if those two things are truly in place and we're striving to love Him with all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our might, and that we love others as, as ourself, then the rest of the commandments will be easy. Everything else will just fall right into place if those two are in place. And Jesus answered that perfectly, answered that question perfectly. So I want to I go, let's go back to Romans chapter 13. And we're going we're gonna to break down um, chapter, verse 9 and a little bit of verse 10 here. But I, I want you to look at each of these individual statements that are made in, in verse 9. It says again, for this, or with our love, it says, first of all, thou shalt not commit adultery. So the first thing that, that I want us to consider, again, thou shalt not commit adultery, is we're just thinking of love, our walk surrounding love. Do we love, if you're married tonight, our spouses? Do we truly love our spouses? You know, and that's a, that's a heavy question to consider. That's a heavy question to consider. Do we truly love our spouses as Christ has loved the church? Are we giving ourselves, are we giving ourselves to them? You know, um, we know what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 about this. We were just there a few moments ago. You don't have to turn there. But it says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. You know, most, more than likely, we're not going to be in a position where we literally have to give our life for our spouse. But I think more so what that's talking about there is that we're dying, but we're dying to ourselves. For her, and and that that should be reciprocated as well. It, it it'll be much easier for for our wives to reverence us, as the Bible says, and to to respect us and submit to us if we're giving ourselves for her, we're dying to ourselves for her. So, do we love truly love our spouses? Are we keeping God's command to stay, stay to stay pure if if we're single? Jesus Jesus said that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. You know, you, you may say, I've, I've never cheated on my spouse. But what's, what's going on in our minds when we put our eyes on a man or a woman that's walking down the street? Or, or when we put our eyes on a man or a woman that's on the TV or computer or phone screen? What's, what's going on in our, in our mind? The Holy Spirit... And true love for our spouse says a resounding no when the flesh and the enemy is trying to get you to say yes in a situation like that. So how, how are we doing, truly doing with, with this command and really overcoming it with love? Thou shalt not commit adultery. And then the second thing that is mentioned in, in verse number 9 is thou shalt not kill. And, and the, question, the question that I have here for us is, do we have hate in our hearts? Listen to what 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Whosoever hateth his brother 
is a murderer. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. So the fact of the matter is that, that when love is lacking, when love is lacking for all those we come into contact with, then we can easily have a tendency to do the opposite, and that's, that's to hate. When love is not present, often hate is right on the other side of the door. We all have people that, that we struggle to get along with and, and deal with from time to time. Uh, maybe there's, there's somebody popping into your head, head right now of somebody that, man, I, I just really struggle with that person. Maybe, maybe they're a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe they're not. But what, you know, here, here's the thing. We, we all have somebody like that. And in that moment, when that, when that person is, is really getting to us, what is it that shows up at that moment? Talked a little bit about that this morning. Does the light of Christ show up? Does love show up? Or, or do we just go into a fit of rage and, and frustration and anger and turn our back on that person and don't even, don't even want to deal with them? Our, our flesh, our flesh or the living Spirit of God that is in us, which one of those two shows up? We don't, we don't look, we don't have to be best friends with everyone. I don't, I don't think that's what God says. But we, we do have to show love. We are commanded to show unconditional love. No matter who it is, no matter how they behave, no matter how they treat you, we are to show unconditional love. Listen, what if Christ loved us conditionally? What if He loved us conditionally? Because oftentimes that's what we do. We love conditionally. You know, if somebody treats us good, if somebody's nice to us, if they bless us, then, then we want to bless them. But when, do, are we blessing people when it's not easy to bless someone? If, if Christ loved us conditionally, every single one of us would be condemned to hell. Every single one of us. We would all be without hope because we have all fallen short of, of the glory of God. And without the, the blood of Christ, and through His love, we would have no hope. Thank the Lord that Christ does not love us conditionally. The third thing, it says, thou shalt not steal. So in other words, love does not obtain anything dishonestly. Love does not obtain anything dishonestly. Whether, whether that's on the job, whether that's with our investments that we make, whether that's in the classroom, on a test, putting, putting our hands on something that does not belong to us and the, the list could go on here. But love does not obtain anything dishonestly. Listen to what John chapter 10 and verse 10 says. This is our Lord speaking. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, our, our, our enemy, Satan, is, is a thief. He's a liar and, and he's a thief. And, and his, his job, his number one goal, is, is to come into this world and into our lives and steal every bit of joy that we have. That's, that's what he wants to do. I talked about it this morning. He wants to devour us. He wants to make Christianity look bad. But it's our job, with the power that is given to us from Scripture and the Holy Spirit, to overcome that attack with, with love that, that doesn't even begin to steal or obtain anything dishonestly. We are, we are to be true and honest because of the love of Christ in our lives, in everything. Alright, the fourth thing. Thou shalt not bear false witness. 
Thou shalt not bear false witness. How, how easy is it sometimes for us to, to lie or maybe just, as we like to call it, stretch the truth a little bit? How, how easy is it for us to lie and stretch the truth? You know, I, I think if we were completely honest, this, this occurs much, much more often than that, that we would like to admit. Maybe we don't just bold-faced lie, but again, we stretch the, tooth, the truth. We, we add a detail here and there that, that really isn't completely true. Or we take away something and, and hide the fact uh, that, you know, that we, we may be hiding something because we're embarrassed and we don't tell the whole truth. You know, we, we do this kind of thing a lot. And we need to be very careful. By, by His very nature, God is truth. And by His very nature, He is love. But our enemy, Satan, the devil, in John 9, 9.38, Jesus calls Him the Father of lies because no truth is in Him. When we lie, or whatever we want to call it, stretch the truth, we associate ourselves with the Father of lies. We, this morning, I talked about it. We place ourselves in the darkness when we lie when we don't tell the truth. When we lie, we associate ourselves with the father of lies who again, from the beginning, was a murderer and abode not in the truth. The farthest thing that we can do from the nature of God and love is to lie. We've got to to commit ourselves to living honestly. Alright, then the next thing, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. And I I don't have this written down in the notes, but... The question that I want to ask here is, really, are we content? That's what it boils down to, is are we content? You could jot that down, that's not in there. But just some, some questions to think about, and then I want to turn to one other passage very briefly. Where, where is our heart, again, thinking about coveting, wanting what other people have, uh, being content, or, or lack thereof, where is our heart when our neighbor pulls in to their driveway next door in a new car? Or, or builds a, a, a beautiful new addition to their home. Or when someone at work receives a promotion and we're skipped over. Or, or some recognition or accolade is given in, in the church or elsewhere that, that we think we deserved. Really what we're saying when, when we get jealous and envious in situations like that is that, that we would rather have the car or the addition or the promotion than, than that person does. We, we have no love for that person in that situation. We, are, we say we deserve it. And, and love is, is far from that situation. Uh, again, this, this attitude is so far from the heart of God and from showing love. Turn, turn with me just very quickly over to Philippians. We were just in Ephesians. It's the next book over. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, I want to begin in verse number 11. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. The Bible says this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now notice, I have, I have this underlined and circled in verse 11 there, the, the word learned. Paul had to learn it. Okay, contentment does not come naturally. We have to work at it. We have, we have to understand it and learn it and grow from it every single day. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Verse 12, 
I know both how to be abased or, or low or, or not have very much and know how to abound. He also knew how to have a lot, how to be blessed. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. So he went without food sometimes and, and then other times was full, both to abound and to suffer need. So Paul very clearly knew what it meant to be on both sides of the fence here when it comes to being blessed or not so much. And then verse 13, this is probably one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But understand, I I think that verse is is probably one of the most misused verses in all of the Bible because without contentment, we cannot do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The only way that we can be content is through the strength of Christ that that we seek on a daily basis. So our contentment is of the utmost importance. When we, when we are not content, again, our, when, our, when our attitude is that way, we are so far from the heart of God and showing His love. All right, the last thing that is mentioned back over in Romans 13, all other commandments fall under loving our neighbors as ourselves. All other commandments fall under loving our neighbors as ourselves. The law is fulfilled with love. It is the first and premier fruit of the Spirit. I I named them this morning. Love is listed first. 1 Corinthians 13 finishes by saying, And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, or love, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. All other commandments fall under loving our neighbor's as ourselves, as Jesus commanded. All right, let's quickly move on to, to number two. Number two says this, love because Christ's return is imminent. I talked this morning about redeeming the time. We only have so many opportunities to walk in the light, as I talked about this morning, but we also need to redeem the time, or cash in what, the, what opportunities the Lord has given us with our love in loving one another. And there are three things that I want to point out to you very quickly here as, as we, as we kind of finish up tonight. I want you, let's look at verse 11. Chapter 13 and verse 11. It says, In that, knowing the time. Okay, now that thought right there, again, the same thing that we kind of looked at this morning. Redeeming the time. Knowing that, that our time is short. In that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. So first of all, we are called to wake up. We are called to wake up. As Paul was writing this, he believed, he truly believed that Christ's return was imminent. So, so here, here we are 2,000 years later, 2,000 years closer to the return of Christ. All right, think about that. Paul thought it was going to happen in his day. Now here we are almost 2,000 years later, and we're 2,000 years closer so if you want to talk about imminency, it, it's, it's coming. We can look at what's going on around us and see that Christ could return at any time. The question is, are we living with any sense of urgency whatsoever? What will we be doing when He returns? Will, will we be busy loving ourselves? Doing our own thing? Just, just busy bodying around with the affairs of this life? Or will we be busy loving others? doing exactly what Christ has called us to do. Again, it's high time to give all to Christ. All the time. Not just when it's convenient or easiest, 
You know, think about this. If, if first century Christians, okay, first century Christians, not long after Christ left the earth, if first century Christians could comment on our Christianity today, what do you, what do you think they would say? I, I, I think we would be a laughing stock to them. So we're called to wake up. We have got to wake up in love. Secondly, the, the, the verse here in verses 12 and 13, let me read it. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife and envying. So secondly, we're called not... First of all, we're called to wake up. Secondly, we're called to clean up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7 says this, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. We are to be holy. Leviticus 10.18, Leviticus 11.45, and also chapter 20 and verse 7, and a few others, Romans 12.1, 1 Peter 1.15 and 16, all say something similar. It says this, that we are to be holy because the Lord is holy. Verse 12 says in, in, our, in our text in Romans, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So much, so much is said about this, this idea of, of casting off or putting off and then putting on. There's so much that we need to be at work to cast off so that our love can show and shine very, very brightly. And then the third thing and the last thing that, that we'll talk about briefly tonight is we are called to grow up. We are called to grow up. Verse 14 of our text says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. When we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, what that means is, is we are conforming to His image. We are, we are to be like Him. If, if we're, if we're going to put on a coat, that coat covers our inner garments, and, and we, the way that we are looked at is by what that coat looks like. So when we put on Christ, we're putting Him on. We look like Christ. We begin, become who He is. And that's what we should be striving to do every day. When we make the decision to put on Christ, this is not a decision that comes naturally, easy, or quickly. It's a decision to be truly like Him. Putting on Christ brings us to the very definition of the word Christian. Again, to be Christ-like, a disciple, a little Christ, a Christ follower. To be a Christian or to put Him on is a daily decision to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Him every single day. We, we, we make the moment-by-moment decision to decrease so that He can increase, as John the Baptist taught. We live a life of saying no to self and saying yes to the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit every moment of every day. The daily exercise is truly, truly growing up in Christ. And none of this, none of these things that we just mentioned can happen without Christ being the object of our affection and love. And if He is not in His rightful place in our lives, then our love for others will be completely out of whack. I want to just end with this, with this illustration. Stuart Holden, who is the author of the book Prevailing Intercessory Prayer, was in Egypt and, and met a sergeant in a Scottish Highland regiment. 
And he asked this man this question. He found out that he was a Christian and he wanted to know his testimony. He said, how, how were you brought to Christ? And, and he, he asked this bright young Christian, a sergeant in the military, and this is how that sergeant responded. He gives his testimony. He says this, there was, a, there was a private in the same company as myself who had been, who had been saved. He had been converted in another country in Malta. And, and this sergeant gave him a, a horrible time, a terrible time. He says he remembers one night when it was raining. Uh, the weather was awful. It was muddy, um, cold, wet, disgusting. Um, he, he came in from that night of, of sentry duty, out in the cold, out in the wet, out in the mud. And as usual, th- this man who was saved got down on his knees before going to bed to pray. And this sergeant's boots, who also had been on duty that night, were covered in mud, um, dirty, nasty, disgusting. He was so frustrated at seeing this man kneel by his bed and pray. It was just an annoying thing to him that he took off one boot and threw it at his head and hit him right in the head. And the man just kept on praying. Didn't, didn't budge, didn't do anything. So the, so the sergeant took off his other boot, threw it right at him, smacked him right in the side of the head, and the man just continued to pray. He just continued to pray. The next morning, the sergeant says, when I woke up, I found my boots beautifully cleaned and polished at my bedside. This was his reply to me, and it broke my heart. That day, I was brought to repentance. So are we displaying that kind of love? Are we displaying that kind of love that whatever type of act it may be or word that we say, that people are just drawn to us because we are drawn to the Lord? What an amazing thought it is to be loved by Christ. But that doesn't mean a whole lot on this earth if our love is not coming out of us. His love is not coming out of us.